But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sin against his own body. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla, and next to me, like always, the president, Steve Denhartog. What's up, everybody? Good to be with you again. Oh, man. So, guys, this is a second week. Uh, second week coming back. You know, we were we were off for a little bit, we but were, uh, yeah. super excited because we are finally in the new facility. We are. All right. So we're super excited about that. We got the stuff moved. We we're got, not physically there yet, yeah. but we got the stuff moved there, over there. Yeah, there's still a lot of things that we needed we need to do, but we are super, super, super excited. And you know, God has been absolutely so, so uh gracious uh uh towards us and and just the people that we're just giving so that we can move into a new facility, a bigger facility. And uh I, I, I think that I'm I just can't wait to be in there completely and everything just moved in um and we have seminary coming up and just a spanish conference coming up and just being in a bigger facility is just gonna you know having an opportunity for more outreach in the in the, at the university as well and and uh with the students there i think is really exciting yeah absolutely so uh today on today's podcast uh we are have a first-time author uh we have dean in sarah and we're going to be talking about his book, Why the Bible Plans for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or Oppressive. The name of the book is Pure by Booty Publishing. So we'll, we're going to be having him here in a moment. But uh, for our listening audience, again, please don't forget to subscribe to Apple, Android, Google, and Stitcher Radio. And we're also on Spotify. And please don't forget to visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.com. Org. Um, so uh, again, uh, summer is closing out soon, and uh, fall is going to be really exciting. So again, please, please visit our website for any updates on the things that are happening at Bridge Ministry. Absolutely. Well, Steve, you want to get this podcast started? Let's do it. All right. Dean and Sarah is a graduate of Liberty University and holds an MA in Theological Studies from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is the founding pastor of City Church. Dean is passionate about reaching the city of Tallahassee with the gospel to see a worldwide impact made for Jesus. He is married to Chrissy and they have two sons, Tommy and Ty, and one daughter, Sally Ashlyn. Welcome, Dean, to Bridge Radio for the first time. Hey. It's great to be with you, Texas folks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dean, we're super excited uh, to have you on and talk about your new book. Uh, we're su- super happy about the, the topic, believe it or not. Absolutely. Just in, in this day and age, yes. we're, we're, we're Very living Very relevant. In. Yes, absolutely. But before we begin, uh, Dean, can you just share a little bit about yourself and how God drew you to saving faith? Yeah, I was raised uh, mainline Protestant. And uh, that's not to say there aren't some remnant great ones out there. Uh, the one I was raised at uh, was uh, really nice people and uh, very nice folks that treated me very well. But I never actually heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I never had someone tell me I was a sinner who needed to be saved. And the only way I could be saved from my sins was Jesus dying for me in my place. And I needed to believe that in faith and repentance. 
Uh, so I was told to be like Jesus, love like Jesus, knew some Bible stories that had they would give kind of moral to the story, as in be courageous like this person, you know, don't run from God like Jonah, you know, mm. be more loving, those type of things. Get out of the boat like Peter, you know, things, <laughs> right. things like that. Uh, but I never again had anyone actually share the good news of the gospel with, with me. I knew that Jesus died on the cross, but it was kind of this sort of generic, symbolic kind of idea. Uh, the resurrection was more kind of an allegory for new beginnings in life, mm. you know, rather than actually our justification, as the scriptures tell us, he was raised for our justification. Uh, so I went to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes retreat when I was 13 years old, and I heard the gospel message the first time, where I was told that one day I would stand before God, Either I would say before God and give an account of my life, which would be pretty scary because I've sinned against God before uh, too far too often. And the wages of sin is death because our God uh, has to take sin seriously. He can't overlook it. He must punish sin if he's going to be a holy God. Or I could stand before God on the, re on the record of Jesus Christ and in his righteousness. And when Jesus died on the cross, uh, that his righteousness was given to all those who will believe by faith. And uh, that day, I uh, called God upon my life. He opened my eyes and, and I believed the good news. And and it went down forward to an invitation, as they call it. They call people to come forward and make a decision during the, the meeting. I had never seen anything like that before, uh, but I knew that if uh, that I was someone who needed Christ. That I, I, that's what the problem was. I was familiar with Christianity. I wasn't familiar with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if you'd asked if I was a Christian before that, I would have said yes. My reason for believing that was simply that I wasn't an atheist, you know, that I wasn't another, someone of another world religion, and that I was a nice person. And we say a prayer before dinner. My answer would have had nothing to do with actually my need for Christ. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm really passionate to this day about the reality that if your answer to why you're a Christian is anything other than the work of Jesus on your behalf, you mm. might not be. Mm. You know, and that's not to make someone question their salvation. It's simply make sure they have it. Yeah. Mm. Jesus is the reason. He's the purpose. So, um, so since then, again, not a perfect life. Eugene Peterson calls it long, slow obedience in the same direction. Mm. <laughs> but... Uh, I've been following Christ uh, since then and want to make him known, especially to that world I was in Amen. of folks that think they're Christians and they're not, which I think is the most uh, underrated mission field in America. So I live in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, pastoring in my hometown, planted a church in 2007, mm. and I've seen the Lord do a lot of neat things since then. Amen. Wow. wow. That's pretty, pretty Moral good. therapeutic deism. That's the way I've, I've That's heard yeah. uh, Christianity yeah. referred to often in the U.S. Mm. Yeah, I, I wrote about that in my first book called The Unsaved Christian, which is about reaching cultural Christianity for Jesus. Yeah. And to understand that, you have to really understand moral therapeutic deism, and you have to understand that cultural Christianity is not a discipleship issue. Yeah. It's not one of those things where, oh, let's just kind of get more serious about our faith, let's right. go to church more often, let's read our Bible. It's an evangelism issue. Yeah. Mm. These are folks who don't know Jesus and think they do. So we have to make sure we're clear on that mission field. Amen. Wow, yeah, that's great. That yeah. is great. So, uh, Dean, your book is in response to the pushback of purity culture. So first question, what is purity culture? What is the culture backlash to purity culture, if you want to define those two things? You know, I grew up in the 90s, uh, and I grew up, I mean, middle school and high school, those mainly like formative teenage years. And uh, I'd already come to faith by then when I was 13. So the main kind of world and culture that I was thrust into regarding youth ministry uh, was around this idea called true love waits. Mm -hmm. uh, in retrospect, we call it purity culture, but it wasn't called that then. It was the true love waits movement. And the whole push was to get you to sign a card where you made a pledge as a teenager that you would save yourself was the language they used. Mm -hmm. You would save yourself. They meant sexually uh, for your future spouse. 
And with that came testimonials. It came uh, people would buy what were called purity rings. Yeah, purity. And the, idea, <laughs> and the idea was that you would wear this ring on your finger. Again, you're 16 years old when you're buying this, okay? Or your parents <laughs> are buying it for you. And that one day you would give that ring to your spouse and like let he let let your future husband, your future wife, uh, know that you had saved yourself. This is the symbol of that. Uh, and everything kind of revolved around that. Joshua Harris wrote a book yeah. uh, called like, Kiss Dating Goodbye mm. uh, that was uh, discouraging kids from traditional dating and instead was telling them they needed to be courting, yeah. uh, which I thought was just really intense to tell a 16-year-old. Rather, <laughs> rather than what I advocate for is what I call no regrets dating, mm. you know, which is just to have a good time, to be innocent, not to cross physical boundaries, to have fun. You know, when, when, when you're 16 years old, you don't need to say, well, I'm not going to date someone until I know it's the person I'm going to marry. It's like, well, how are you going to find that out? Right. <laughs> that's mm. how, in our culture, that's how that happens. So the pushback now, I mean, the New York Times even done an op-ed looking back on purity culture. It's very negative. And people talk about a lot of the damage that has been done. And I'm more in the middle. Uh, I can appreciate anyone who made an effort to try to push kids towards sexual purity. Mm. Okay, like I, I can appreciate that. I also think the motives were pure. I think these folks truly, genuinely wanted to see uh, not the sexual revolution repeat itself in the 60s and 70s. Mm. Keep in mind, this is back in the 90s. These are parents from the 60s and 70s who are then raising children. You know, my parents went to school in the 60s and 70s, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of these Christian families meant well. They just didn't want to see that repeated, same things they went through, in the lives of their kids. I just think the focus was wrong. Mm. And the focus was really around this whole idea of just saving yourself. We didn't hear much about God's design. We didn't hear much about the purpose of it, uh, about what this means in our in the world of following Jesus, uh, how uh, this idea of, of marriage plays into the whole storyline of the Bible and the gospel story. It was all, you don't want to be the one that gets to your honeymoon and didn't save yourself. Yeah. Let us assign the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, yeah. That's going to create either Pharisees on one side of the mm -hmm. coin uh, who think they deserve someone you know, who is exactly like them in terms of the choices they made as a teenager— or that I'm not good enough now. Mm. Like, like I, I might as well just keep doing these things physically because I've already made a mistake or I've already sinned before, already messed up before. So why does it matter now? I've already messed this up. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm the one already that, that's violated this or that no one's going to want to marry me. No one's going to, because I'm, you know, this, I, I can't stand this phrase, but this is what was believed was this whole damaged goods idea. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think anyone who's made the image of God is damaged goods, uh, you know, especially someone who's been redeemed by the Lord and made new. But that's what happened as a result of this. I think a lot of folks are looking back and they have some bitterness. They have some, um, a lot of people remain single for a long time because. Uh, and still aren't married. So a lot of single adults now in their 30s and 40s mm. are looking back kind of angry at that movement because they were told not to date you know, until you found the right person you wanted to marry. There's just so many things now looking back at it. What I'm trying to communicate in the book is, okay, let's say that everything the critics say about purity culture is true. Again, I don't think all of it is, unless I'm kind of halfway. But let's say all of it is true, just for the sake of argument. Mm -hmm. Does that change for a moment the fact that God has a clear design for marriage and sexuality? Mm. The answer is, of course it doesn't. You know, missteps are the wrong focus by well-meaning Christians, or even if they were wrong-intended Christians. Yeah. doesn't change the fact that God has been very clear to us on what he has given us for his glory and for our good concerning marriage and sexuality. Amen. Yeah. So kind of along those lines, what you've, you've kind of touched on some of these things, but what issues have the pushback against purity culture caused for the church? You know, I can see one of the things that you, you brought up was the whole kind, kind of idea of damaged goods. Um, flesh that out a little bit more. Talk about that. 
Yeah, well, a lot of guilt and shame. So whenever a, you, or anything of sexuality is talked about, people sort of, you know, internally uh, have this this kind of not really not real life PTSD, but kind of a version yeah. of it. Yeah. You know, but what I'm seeing more though is uh, the re- the reaction, the response is churches now are afraid to talk about because they don't want to be labeled as purity culture. So it's almost like any time that the church wants to talk about sexual ethics, the pushback is, oh, purity culture, purity culture. It's like, well, I'm talking about purity culture. Talk about God's design. You can call it whatever you want. You know, we want to make sure that people know that we love God and love others enough to make sure we're clear on what he said. So I just think just a lot of uh, just a, a pushback all the way to a complete resistance yeah. uh, is, is what we're seeing, where people just want nothing to do with it anymore because of the damage that's been done in their mind concerning the movement. Now, part of me believes, I'm just trying to be really fair here, that that some of that is a little bit of an excuse. Mm. Uh, and I, I think some people really did have a really poor experience. I think others just didn't like the fact that folks were telling them this is what the Bible says, and they want to do what's right in their own eyes, yeah. as the book of Judges says. So I think there's a little bit of both things happening. There's some missteps by the movement, and at the same time, an easy scapegoat uh, for you to want to do the things you want to do. Gotcha. So I see what you're talking about here is kind of a whole reorientation of the way that we talk about sex and purity, as opposed to being something that uh, this is the way that you should live if you're a good Christian. It's 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 kind of the idea of, of us as creatures, uh, created beings, living in light of the reality of how God has created us to live. Is that... Yeah, and our fault... Yeah, and our call to follow Christ even ups the ante on that, of course. You know, one of the people who are, who are serious about Jesus. Sure. Uh, sure. But yeah, but I, I think we have to teach it and understand it in the storyline of the whole Bible. Yeah. That God knew what he was doing when he made this. I mean, we see the whole, we see like a thread uh, of the Genesis uh, chapter 2 design, uh, the Genesis 1 through 3 kind of pre-fall design uh, for humanity that uh, God in the book of Genesis says that he made them and that man, that, that man and woman will become one flesh. Mm. That's a really significant part of this conversation. Now, one flesh is more than sexual intimacy, but it's definitely not less. Yeah. And we see that idea of one flesh continue throughout the Bible as the foundation, as the rationale, as the understanding. Uh, so you see in the, when you get to the Gospels, uh, Jesus in Matthew 19 uh, was asked about marriage and divorce. And what does Jesus do? He quotes mm-hmm. Genesis. Yeah. He says, don't show that he who made them in the beginning. So Jesus actually believed that to be real and historic action. He said, and then he talks about becoming one flesh. That's what God's brought together, you know, let no one separate. Again, that's more than sex, but it's definitely not less. We get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, where Paul is talking to the believers in Corinth about temple prostitution, about their sexual immorality. Hmm. Paul does not go into a rant about why prostitution is wrong. Uh, he doesn't talk about uh, how this is a, this is unwise, or maybe this is demeaning to women, or whatever you could. This is unhealthy. Instead, he goes back to Genesis, hmm. and he says, "Don't you know that when you lay with a prostitute, you become one flesh with her? Hmm. As in, you're doing permanent things with temporary people yeah. concerning the relationship." And then you get to Ephesians chapter five, where Paul's talking about marriage, and he's talking about the gospel, Christ and the church, that relationship. And he's intertwining them together. Where you're, you're reading it going, wait a second, is he talking about marriage or is he talking about Christ and the church? And the answer is yes, he's talking about both. Why is that? Because when God created marriage in Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, he already had the gospel in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That the, the relationship, the one fleshness, the oneness of a husband and a wife is the visible portrait God gives us 
to point us to the invisible reality of the union between Christ and the church. So that beautiful doctrine of the faith, union with Christ, our oneness with Christ as believers, the way that God has given us to see a visible portrait of that is the institution of marriage. So this is way bigger than, hey, save yourself from your spouse or knock it off or don't do that. This is way bigger than all these things. This is the storyline of the scriptures that God has given us in his design. Mm, I just preached you a mini sermon. Sorry about that. No, no, <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, you just earlier when you were just talking about why the, you know, the church uh, don't speak about this. I'm just, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 90s, mm. you know, yeah. um, uh, 80s and 90s. But, you know, I was in the, in my high school years in the nineties. And I just remember, I mean, the same thing that you're just talking about, it was just like, stay away. Don't, you know, don't do this. Don't do that. And there was never any true gospel uh, preached into my life. You know, I wasn't saved, but I was going to a Christian school. I was going to church, but you know, I'm just thinking about the things that they were telling us as young adults, like just stay away, but not giving you the why. So yeah, that, so the conclusion was for a lot of folks was that sex is bad. Mm. You know that that it's it, it's a bad thing. I should be scared of this. I should avoid this. You know, rather than well, no, uh, sex is actually a wonderful thing because God has created it. God has just given us the place where it is to be carried out. Yeah, uh, and, and 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 so I, I wish that would have been more of the story. Yeah, than than this pressure on you to make sure you're not the one. They made the honeymoon into this kind of utopia sort of destination, kind of unrealistic expectations for people as well. Yeah. And I think yeah. that caused some issues too. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny. I, I dated a pastor's uh, daughter when I was uh, uh -oh, 17. That's yeah. And she had, a move. It, yeah, that was a, she had a, she had a purity ring. I remember I was like, Oh, what is that? You know, I was like, Oh, this is it. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, we didn't last long. So <laughs> not for anything. Cause you were impure. Cause I was impure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Oh man. Oh yeah. man. But uh uh Dean, let's uh shift here and so what do you think is the best strategy of the church to minister to people during the current sexual revolution of the modern of this modern society that we're living in? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think there's two lies we have to confront. Mm. And they all go back to the Garden of Eden. And the first lie is there's more to be gained by disobeying God. There is to be gained by obeying him. And the second lie is I have to go around God for the things I'm looking for in my life, meaning purpose, happiness, joy, rather than actually right to him. Uh, because those things are being believed right now, including with too many believers, uh, that they think they have to go seek those things somewhere else. And we have to really help people understand that Jesus is better. Mm. You know, life with God really is the greatest joy, really is the greatest treasure, and that a life with God cannot be separated from what he's given us regarding sexuality. Mm. So I think it begins with being unashamed and being clear. Mm. I, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I think in this climate, as you ask the question, we'd be clear as we've ever been before, mm. and at the same time be as compassionate as we've ever been before. It'd be both of those things. Think of the woman at the well with Jesus. He told her the truth about her life. Yeah, you're right. The man you're living with is not your husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, right? I mean, mm. it's like, He's like, I know, okay, and he's like, but then he offers her living water, mm. and you know, he he offers her himself, you know, in terms of spiritually, right, and and I, and I think that that's the approach that the continue to take, but also being mindful uh, that that being mindful that the world's not going to like it, mm. and, and if we're trying to be, I guess we could say, put it this way, big fans 
when it comes to being accepted by the world, then we're going to be in big trouble and we're going to shy away. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people really, have, we've almost been conditioned to have the world like us. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't want to be, who wants to be labeled as a bigot? I don't. You know, who wants to be labeled as an offensive person? I don't. But as a result of that, that pursuit causes us to compromise. And I'm pretty worried about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems like the church is in a lot of ways, you know, even yeah. though we know that there's faithful people out there who are standing up to truth, but Absolutely. As, yeah. a, as a whole, it's very easy to compromise. The temptation is. is always there. We see it all the time, guys. I we, mean, it's happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And most of it aren't people that are going, I just disagree with the Bible, or I'm just going to throw this out. I, I, I want to deconstruct my faith. That's not most of it. Most of it really comes from a posture of people being scared that they're going to offend. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to be sympathetic towards that. I understand that. That temptation, I'm just saying that's not the way of the Christian life. Amen. Mm. I mean, the the bottom line is, who are we going to please, you know, God or man? And so the question is, do I, am I more concerned about what man thinks of me or what the Lord thinks of me? So yeah. so going on, uh, uh, Dean, what, what redemptive words would you offer to someone who has been harmed by the purity culture? Yeah. I, I would say that mistakes by humans does not change the fact that God has always had a design and he's always been there. Hmm. Right. As a pastor, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm I'm, I'm going to, my theology is never going to be perfect, but you know what? God's theology is and the scripture is. So I would say now, and and again, it can be different people in different places. Some might need some serious counseling from a professional Hmm. from it. I want to encourage that if that's needed. One might not be at that level and just might need uh, to kind of take a deep breath and uh, get back in the scriptures and, and in a gospel preaching church. But then the good news for all of us is we can recover and pursue that design. Mm. You know, we, we, we can recover as in we can go back after it again. You know, mm. we, can, we can go and say, no, this is the norm yeah. for me. I can go from this point forward yeah. and pursue a healthy marriage, mm. you know, pursue no regrets, dating relationships and actually live my life in purity. In other words, guys, it's not too late. Mm-hmm. But like God is the God of grace, right? Mm-hmm. There, Thankfully, there is more grace in him than there is sin in us. And there's lots of sin in us, yeah. right? But that's how big God's grace and God's mercy is. So I want to just encourage you to actually believe that for yourself. I mean, how often do we believe that for other people? You know, there's grace for you. I mean, if Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers, mm-hmm. Right, to call us brothers and sisters, call us as siblings. If he's not ashamed of us, why should we be ashamed of us? Yeah. Right, because Jesus has already dealt with that. He went to the cross for that. And so I want to encourage people those two words: recover and pursue. You know, recover and pursue. Like the brokenness does not have to remain. And to remember that when we depart from God's design, it's supposed to be messy. Yeah. It's supposed to be broken because we're going against what He has given us. Uh, so don't let a '90s kind of pop Christian movement dictate for you the rest of your life amen amen and i think that's the beauty of the gospel right i mean do we really believe that we're new creations in christ and all that that entails i mean you know we are a new creation in christ jesus the old has gone the new has come you know i mean so we have that hope we have that new life in christ in the gospel we have the indicative before the imperative yeah, you have let's what believe God that for ourselves done. too, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah because we can believe that lie about sexuality and you know our past. And, and I messed up, so I'm gone. I'm yeah, gone. So I'm gone. Yeah, and, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and, and there are people yeah. out there that just feel that burden constantly. Yeah. You know, they they know this truth, but they there's this thing just in the back that is just keeping them where you know 
So then, yeah, so we have a responsibility now as church members and brothers and sisters, if we have people in our lives that are in the camp you're describing, that they from us feel grace, not guilt. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that we help them get to that place and walk with them. And again, we're not pretending that that brokenness isn't real and that sin isn't real and there aren't consequences and all those type of things. But for our brothers and sisters who are redeemed by the Lord and for those who aren't redeemed and are seeking, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of seeking answers, I should say, you know, they really want to know, let's give it to them. Right. Let's give Jesus, you know, let them know that this is not who this is not who they have to be forever. This is not define their lives. Christ defines their lives. Amen. Yeah. So, Dean, how's how has your understanding of purity and sexuality changed since becoming an adult and a pastor after being raised in an evangelical church during the I kiss dating goodbye era that you were just mentioning? Yeah. Well, thankfully, I'm not, I don't have these like negative effects on purity culture. Um, because I wasn't raised in a home that was legalistic or shame-driven or, any, or anything like that. So I'm really thankful for that for my parents. Uh, my uh, kind of retrospect is what I see that's happened to the church as a result of this. Uh, so now as a pastor, I'm seeing the damage that's been done and just the rebellion on top of that that's happening against God, what God has given us and God has created us. So for me as a pastor, how it's changed is I think I used to see this sort of individual choice, like, hey, I'm going to make a decision to make sure the first person I ever sleep with and the last person I ever sleep with is my wife, you know, kind of idea to now going, wait, this is a, a biblical story of God's design. This is not simply a series of choices. Am I going to do this or not do that? It's so much bigger. So I don't, I, I never knew the theology behind it. I never knew the gospel story behind it. I never knew the design behind it. The only thing I really knew from church and from true love weights was don't, <laughs> right? That's all I really knew. So now I, I'm someone who believes that we need to also make sure that we celebrate in an appropriate way, you know, that we celebrate God's gift of sex. And by that, I mean that we don't see it as bad. But also we're clear that sex is not for mature people or engaged people or for in love people. It's for married people. Mm-hmm. And that God has defined very clearly marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, so for me, I think it's just created more of an urgency, to be honest, of, uh, of, what, um, uh, of why this matters and from a theological standpoint and for the health of the church and the body. More than just an individualized decision is probably how I saw it before that. Yeah, mm. I love that idea of a theology of sex. You know, I think yeah. that's that's the first time I know I've it heard sounds it weird way. for our listeners. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. True, though, it's isn't not it? though. Yeah. No, absolutely. We need to teach more of it. Um, what does purity mean for people who have experienced sexual assault, Dean? And and Dean, before we you answer that, we live in an area. Um, here in South Texas, mm, yeah. where we have come across uh, people who have been sexually assaulted. Okay, sure. Uh, so it is okay. very common, yeah. and I think this is yeah. going to be great in, in your thoughts about Yeah, yes. Uh, I believe it means that, that God is here to restore brokenness. Mm-hmm. And something done against you, sin committed against you, is an extreme example, and, I, and I'm sorry that you're the one who's had to be the recipient of this, the person who's listening right now. Mm-hmm. There's an extreme example of what it looks like to go outside of God's design uh, in, in a way that's not your, your basic sin. It's even more than that, right? It's, 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 it's greatly harmful and traumatic and painful. And I, I just want to let you know that if you have been sexually assaulted before, it is not your purity uh, that has been compromised. It's you've been sinned against and that God is here to redeem you, to restore you, uh, to uh, allow you to recover and pursue his design 
and the fact that he not only is he not done with you, he's never left you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just know that that is, that is that is not how he sees you. How you might see you right now, how the world might see you right now, how you might feel right now is not how God sees you. He sees you as a child that he loves and that he still wants you uh, to see his design as the right as the right way. Because anything other than his design is going to lead to brokenness. So I just want to say first that I'm sorry you've had to deal with this, uh, that you know, the, a, a tragedy that I can't even comprehend uh, that you've experienced in your life. Uh, but I also know that that he wants you to still live an abundant life in Christ. And, and, and part of that abundant life when you are ready and you are prepared is to still recover and pursue what he's given us for relationships. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when a tragedy like that happens, there are um, victims blame themselves of uh, the harm and the sin that has been caused against them yeah. and questioning themselves. What did I do? You know, yeah. especially, you know, unfortunately when it happens to yeah. know, children, to children, yeah. Um, awful. It's awful. It's awful. And, yeah. And, and, and it makes me angry. <laughs> and <laughs> and churches must take this so seriously mm. in terms of reporting, in terms of care, in terms of prevention, we have to make sure that we understand there's a big difference when it comes to sexual abuse between a sin and a crime, mm-hmm. right? There, there, now, sexual abuse is not, so not all sexual sin is a crime, right? Right. Abuse is always a crime. Amen. It's sin and a crime. Yeah. So it's not the job of the church to handle it internally, yeah. you know, for brothers and sisters just to work it out. That's not, this is not sin. This is, this is sin and a crime. Uh, so I think we need to make sure that we are clear on that, that we involve the authorities, we involve professionals immediately. Yeah. And that's an area where the church has failed often. Church has failed there often, guys. Yeah. Well, let's just handle it. Matthew 18, let's just handle it. You know, none of that, that's not this. It's not restoring a sinful brother. This is a crime that's been committed. Amen. We need to see it as that and be clear there so people are safe in our churches. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That 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 is a great point. We need to allow civil law to do what civil law is there for. Mm-hmm. Which God has Exactly, which placed. is common grace in the Lord that provides that for us. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah. So Dean, how would you advise somebody who is questioning whether or not their significant other is the one in quotation marks? <laughs> Yeah, I would say to check your marriage certificate and see whose name's on it. <laughs> That's what I would say. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. I, again, I'm not talking about an abuse situation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about one of the things we see happening a lot with marriage crisis today is uh, we used to call it midlife crisis is now happening earlier. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And people are saying things like, well, you know, we just fell out of love or maybe the person lost 30 pounds. They think they deserve somebody that looks different and mm. whatever it could be. And the reality is, it's all just selfish. It's all just, it's all just from the devil. You know, the person that God has given you to marry is the person you are married to. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so that's, but my wife likes to say in marriage counseling, when we, she meets with couples is that if it's going to be forever, it might as well not be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so because of that, let's work, you know, let's work to have strong relations, to have a strong marriage. Yeah. And, and uh, so I, I think the person says we're not right for each other is, it's just, is was very much mistaken. That's the world's language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause God thinks you're right for each other because you're married for each other. And mm-hmm. so to get rid of this whole soulmate idea, we don't see that in the scriptures. You know, marriage is a decision. It's a choice. Amen. And Amen. people say things like, oh, we just fell out of love. Well, love's a decision too. Yeah. You know, so, so what I tell couples is that uh, that, you know, attraction and feelings that gets you to a third date and to an engagement and maybe even to your wedding day. Yeah. Mm. But what gets you to a 50th wedding anniversary is love. Amen. And that's Amen. a choice you make every single day, not randomly. First John chapter four, we love because he first loved us. Yeah. Mm. 
right? Like we love because we understand love differently than the world. Our love's defined by what Christ has done for us on the cross. That while we were sinners, Romans 5, Christ died for us. That's how we understand love. So it's totally sacrificial. It's totally different understanding of the world's idea of love, which is merely just a feeling or an attachment. No, this is this is a commitment, a covenant. Well, and I think it's especially interesting when you consider that arranged, marriage, arranged marriages have historically been the way that uh, couples have been married throughout, uh, you know, throughout most of history. And uh, I don't know what the percentages are for success, but I can't imagine that they're any worse than what we have with with the way that we do it now. Not that I'm advocating sure. for arranged marriages, but what yeah. I'm saying is that there is just this sense of commitment that this is what you're going to do and there's no question. Yeah, this is my wife. This is my husband. Exactly. You know, kind of idea. Yep. So that, that I definitely, there's a reason why they worked. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. It, they might not have been amazing all the time or thriving all the time or the greatest moment of attraction you've ever seen in your entire life, but that's not what marriage is. Yep. Right. Marriage is a, is a decision and a choice and covenantal love to choose to love and to build your lives together mm-hmm. from this union. Amen. Covenantal love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just on, along those lines, Dean, in, in what way is purity different in marriage? than in singleness, in what ways is it the same? Well, I think the key is understanding how it's the same. Mm-hmm. And how it's the same is that, so let's say there's a single person in our church, which there's lots of, that let's say it's a single man. His, the, God's design and what he has prescribed for him is the exact same that he's prescribed for me. And that is the only person that I'm to be physically intimate with is my wife. So that means there's no one outside of my marriage, not another woman. You know, there's not another. There's no there's no one else. The same is true for that person. Hmm. And and the person that that they that God has designed for them to have sexual intimacy with is their spouse. Guess what? Well, they're not married. There you go. (laughs) Okay. So so that's the whole point. So we're held to the exact same standard. Yeah. Uh, what makes it different for me, though, is that I'm not permitted to even like wander outside of that design. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm like living in the design at this moment. So this person is free. Uh, the person who's single is free to go meet people and explore and to you know I, I, and, to, and to get to know someone. I, I'm, I'm not given that freedom to be able to do that, uh, and that's a good thing because like, that's what because God has given us one person for each other for flourishing. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think it's really important to know that we all are given the exact same sexual ethics, the exact same. And that is that a man and a woman who are married to each other. And that applies to every single person across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So true. So kind of as we wrap up here, uh, uh, Dean, I want to ask the, the pornography question. So pornography Mm -hmm. used to be considered taboo, but now it seems to be the norm. How did we get here? And how do we protect ourselves and the next generation from pornography? It is so yeah. prevalent. I'd love, love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's an international crisis, to be honest. I, mean, I, think it's, I don't think I'm being dramatic or extreme when I say that. No. And I, I think how we got here, I think it's a series of things. The lust has always existed, you know, but I think we downplayed this. We, we, we believe lies like it doesn't hurt anybody. Oh, they're just boys. It's natural. Mm. I'd rather have them doing that than doing something else. You know, I'd rather have them, you know, lust there than go, you know, do something with, a phys- with an actual real person, whatever it might be, like physical live person. Uh, all those things are lies. Uh, Jesus said that if we uh, look after a woman lustfully, we've committed adultery in our hearts. Mm. 
And anyone I've talked to who's experienced a, a pornography with their spouse in terms of found out their spouse was involved in pornography, looking at pornography, that's how they always felt. They felt like adultery was committed. And there's a reason for that. That should be expected, right? Uh, then I, I think also that uh, we need to make sure that we don't normalize it. And right now it's normal in our culture. And as Christians, we need to make sure we're clear. Wait a second. Seeing the person's body like that, that's not your husband or wife, is actually not normal. Because God created us to be with our spouse and only see our spouse that way. Uh, so I think we can make sure that in Christian circles, we make sure that it's not normal. Yeah. But also that we're willing to receive people. I'm really convinced that maybe a month from now or 10 years from now or somewhere in between, that we're going to need to be prepared as churches and Christians to receive what I call refugees of the sexual revolution, hmm. which are people that realize that these were lies. These did not give me what I was hoping for. I, this is not what I want for my life. And churches need to be ready to offer compassion and grace to people who are ready to confess and come forward and get help when it comes to this. Mm. Uh, so while, while, while we think that pornography is terrible, we don't think the people who look at it are terrible. We think the people that Jesus loves and that he wants to redeem. They will be held accountable for their sins, right? that the God will not be mocked. So either you're going to seek forgiveness in Christ or you're going to try to stand before him on your own righteousness. Well, guess what? Yeah. Uh, your own righteousness is very tainted. It's actually an unrighteousness. And an example of that is the pornography that you look at. Mm -hmm. right? We all commit sins, and they all separate us from God. So we need Jesus, the one who never sinned, to be sin for us. So he died in our place. Uh, so I also think there's a, a wider story as well. Yes, it can hurt yourself. It can hurt your spouse. It can hurt your future relationships. It can be very damaging towards future relationships. Also, it fuels the human trafficking industry. Yeah, mm. like like that. It literally it fuels it uh, when we engage in pornography. So not only are you hurting yourself and possibly damaging your future relationships, hurting your spouse, you're also hurting many many people who are trapped unjustly in the human trafficking industry by being involved in this. There's so many layers to why this should be considered completely unacceptable for the Christian, and why we must speak about it. Pornography is not normal, regardless of the world tells you. Get out of it any way you can. Seek a friend. Seek a pastor. Seek help. Amen. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a, a struggle for men, um, even women too. Yep. Women, yes, women too. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we forget that we just think this is a, a a man thing. It is a woman thing, especially um, how we are bombarded with just sexual things on a daily basis. Like I. You know, Steve, I've told Steve this before. I was like, I want to I want to look at the news on my, you know, on my app. Right. And in, you know, uh, you, you go, let's say Fox News and there's advertising on who's the latest, you know, celebrity and, you know, in inappropriate, you know, clothing, you know, and oh, you, yeah. can, you can't even like everywhere. It's everywhere. like everywhere you get bombarded with that. And it's it's sad. And, and, and hopefully, um, you know, you're right. Is the church prepared to handle this? Um, you know, 10 years, five years, whatever it is, the outcome of just the, the things that we're able to see in the, you know, in, in the millisecond, mm -hmm. you know, in the dangers in that for sure. And it just destroys the way that you think about the opposite sex. Oh, yeah. You know, I oh, mean, completely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It does. That. Yeah. What you expect in marriage it's not going to be like that. Yeah. It's unrealistic. It's a crisis. It's, it's, it's uh, dehumanizing. I mean, we can go on forever. Yeah. I mean, it truly is a crisis. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, Dean, before we land this plane here, um, any last uh, encouraging words to our worldwide audience? 
before uh, we share the gospel to the nations, as Romans 10, 14 says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how would they believe in him who they have not heard? And how would they hear without a preacher? So, yeah. Yeah, my, my last kind of encouragement would be that sex is not the problem. God's one who created sex. Mm. Uh, it's the location of it, what we've done with it, taken outside of his design. Uh, it's kind of like fire in a fireplace. Mm. You know, fire in the fireplace is great. You know, it makes you think of Christmas and want to roast marshmallows, put on your fuzzy <laughs> socks, cuddle together. You know, we love fire in the fireplace. Fire in the couch is not great, <laughs> right? So it's a big, big problem. Yeah. It's not the fire that's the problem. It's the location of the fire. Amen. So just remember that. Sex is a good thing. God has made it. It, yeah. it is a good thing for his glory and for our good. It's that we have taken it outside of his bounds. And obviously when we go against the creator's creation, we're going to see the results of what's happening in our culture right now. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can receive uh, the free gift of grace. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, to forgive us of our sins, that cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that by believing that he really is the one he claimed to be, that you do need him for your salvation. You can't save yourself. You can't forgive your own sins. Uh, that he, you can then be restored and you can now recover and pursue God's good design for you. So when I think about the gospel message, I think of the good news. I mean, it's good news. The good news is what Jesus Christ has come to do for sinners. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But here's what we had to realize. We're just going to make some logic here. And I say that humbly because it just really is the interpretation of scriptures. You see Romans 8, 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If that's true, it means there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. Is that because God's mad or a bully? No, it's because you've sinned. You've sinned against God, and God won't let sin go unpunished. Well, I've sinned against God too, and I'm aware of that. So I'm not trying to save myself. I'm not trying to do some good deeds to cancel out my bad deeds. That's like going to the fast food restaurant and thinking that your Diet Coke cancels out your double cheeseburger. It makes no sense. <laughs> Sorry. So... I, I want to encourage everyone here as people who do stand before God guilty of sin to trust in the one who's never been guilty of sin and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. That he is the way, the truth, the life, that he shed his blood and he died so we wouldn't have to. And so I, I, then he rose from the grave three days later, proving once and for all he was the one he claimed to be. He ascended into heaven and one day will come back and make all things new. Hmm. So please know that heaven is there. I was a real place where real people go. And people who go there are not nice people, but redeemed people. Hmm. And I think it's critical that you make sure that if you claim to be a Christian, that your answer to why you're a Christian is actually the name of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And if you're not a Christian or not sure, then you put your trust in Christ rather than yourself for your own righteousness. And it's available to you freely through the death of Christ on the cross. Amen. Amen. Yeah, good news. Well, Dean, thank you for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you get uh, Dean's new book, Pure, Why the Bible's Plan for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, irrelevant or oppressive. Uh, we, we touched on a lot of things in this podcast, but man, there's so much more in the book. Yes. Please go get the book. All right. We can't give everything here. So please go out and get the book by Moody publishing. And, uh, Dean, where can people find you if you want to be found? <laughs> I like, to yeah, say that. yeah, sure. I mean, my church, the church I pastor is city church in Tallahassee and all the sermons are up online. Um, and, but I am, I'm active on social media. I use Twitter and Instagram a okay. lot and I enjoy interacting with people. It's just my name, Dean and Sarah, I N S E R R A. And I'd love to interact with you and say hello and talk about anything you want to talk about. So yeah, that'd be great. Look awesome. For me. Awesome. Dean, thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me finish in the book. Appreciate y'all. And congrats Absolutely. on your new location, your new space. That's yes. Great. Yes. We're, thank we're so excited. Much. Thank you so much. And we hope to have you sometime again soon. 
That'd be awesome. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode with Pastor Dean and Sarah on his new book, Pure by Moody Publishing, Why the Bible's Plan for Sexuality Isn't Outdated, Irrelevant, or Oppressive. Steve, what did you think about the podcast? <laughs> Extremely timely, right? Yeah, with just everything going on here in this country. Oh, um, man. With yeah. uh, just the sexual revolution with the LGBTQRS community. I mean, with just, and I don't even know where to begin, but I mean, the topics that were just brought up in this podcast about sexuality and purity and are just so important. Absolutely. You know? And the, the beauty is, is that we don't need to wonder about these things. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need to, to wonder about sexuality and, and how we need to behave. And because we know as Christians, as Bible believing Christians, that we are creatures that God created us and he designed us to live a certain way, you mm -hmm. know? And so we need to just find out how that is, how, how we are to live in light of how he has created us to his glory. You know, and it's not because, as he said, it's not something that we do um, because Christianity is a list of do's and don'ts. It's simply uh, understanding that we were created to live this way. One yeah. man, one woman in marriage, you know, and um, as Christians, there should be even more of a motivation to live like that because it honors our our savior. Yeah, that is just a great reminder just for me, like. The importance of within the marriage and, and and staying pure and enjoying what God has created. I really love that Dean pointed that out. That yeah. we enjoy that God is the one who created sex, right? And 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 like he said towards the end of the podcast, it's good in the fireplace. Mm. It's not good outside of the fireplace. Yeah, so I really absolutely. really really appreciate him. So please go out and get the book. Go support Dean. And in this book, I mean, it's a book that you can just grab with a group of men, a group of women and go through it. You know, I think to, just going through it. Yeah. As a, as a study for young people would yes, be awesome. A study for young people for sure. Just absolutely great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And like we always like to end the show, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior. Jesus Christ. Amen. Until next week.